This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN Columbia.
All right, there you have it. Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia, 89.5 FM. This is Mike Hagan, your host as always, every Monday night from 11 p.m. until 2 a.m. And uh, we're doing it up tonight one more time, as we always do. Uh, tonight, things are going to be a little bit different than we normally do. We're going to get things going pretty much right off the bat here. We're going to take care of a little bit of business and then uh, uh, come back with, with our guest uh, this evening, who is Alex Gray, uh, one of the most amazing artist that I've ever come across in my life and somebody who I'm very excited to talk to and we might get a chance to talk with his his uh, wonderful wife Allison as well another amazing artist in her own right uh, at any rate that's coming up in just a few minutes so stick around uh, some of the operating funds for KOPN are provided by listener support and a donation from the Blue Note information about the Blue Note is available at www.thebluenote.com or give them a call 573-874 one nine four four. Okay, so uh, like I said, this is Mike, and it's Radio Orbit, and it's been a week since I've been with you, and what a week it's been. Uh, we'll take some time at the end of the program. Not not quite sure how long uh, Alex is going to be with us. Uh, we'll just sort of play that by ear. We'll 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 uh, accept as much uh, of his time and uh, as he's willing to give us. Certainly, that's uh, uh, time well spent. Uh, but if we get done early, we'll talk about. Uh, certainly some things uh, about New Orleans and some of the things that are happening down in the south right now and maybe take some calls and talk about that whole scene and what it really means maybe uh, in the larger larger sense of things. Obviously amazing things that have happened in the last week and heartbreaking things uh, but also, uh, you know, as always, uh, two sides of these coins and uh, maybe some transformative things coming out of uh, out of these events. Okay. All right, uh, thanks for the email. Hello to everybody listening over the web. Let me do a quick thanks to Debbie and Free Range Radio Theater. Always doing a great job. Frankenstein tonight. Got to love that stuff. What a great way to set up Radio Orbit with Free Range Radio Theater. Every week, Debbie Johnson doing that from 10 o'clock until 11. Uh, Jason and Kelvin playing blues and jazz for a couple hours before Debbie. And, of course, the boogeyman, Curtis, coming up at 2 a.m. after after my stint here. so All right, so like I said, thanks uh, for the emails. I appreciate it, everybody listening over the web. I appreciate your comments. I appreciate uh, uh, all the, uh, the notes that you send, and I try to take that stuff, uh, try to, take that stuff to heart. So uh, we have some guests coming up. Uh, of course, tonight uh, we've got Alex Gray. Next week I'm going to do an interview uh, that, that I did a couple weeks ago with Ralph Abraham, Dr. Ralph Abraham. And... Uh, he another uh, incredible evolutionary, revolutionary person, uh, someone who I am also uh, very interested in, in, in his work and have been for a long time. But anyway, the chaos theorist and the dynamicist, an amazing mathematician, somebody who basically changed the face of mathematics uh, on its own, uh, is uh, Dr. Ralph Abraham. And Dr. Abraham will be with us. Actually, it's an, it's an interview that I actually already did, um, but... Uh, We'll air that interview next week, okay? All right, well, uh, let's see. Upcoming guests, let me talk real quick about what's happening. Uh, other than Ralph, uh, Paradise Newland coming up. We're going to do a sh speaking of uh, birth, that, uh, uh, that uh, underwriting card that I just read for Inner Rhythms. Uh, I'm going to do a show with Paradise Newland, my friend from Hawaii. And this time, uh, Dr. Heisen, uh, Dr. Michael Heisen won't be joining us. It'll just be Paradise and I, and we're going to do a show on water birth. 
and uh, that should be uh, an interesting uh, topic. As we know, Paradise knows that uh, uh, better than most people on the planet. So uh, Paradise Newland coming up in just a couple of weeks. Dr. Jeremy Narby, uh, the amazing anthropo- uh, anthropologist uh, from Stanford and uh, one of the most um, uh, well uh, backgrounded uh, scientifically, uh, one of these people who's who's been writing a lot about shamanism and uh, intelligence and nature and this sort of thing. So Jeremy's going to be on the show here sometime before that uh, Bioneers conference uh, in October. Lucy Pringle in a couple weeks talking about crop formations. Vincent Bridges uh, got a great email from Vincent this morning, and uh, of course he's uh, Jay Widener's partner on the Monument to the End of Time uh, project, uh, talking about this. The Cyclic Cross of Undai or Undai in France, uh, an amazing, uh, an amazing thing. Anyway, lots of good stuff coming up, and what else? Yeah, actually, speaking of Jay Widener, he'll be on the show again in the next month or so. We're going to do a show on alchemy. Uh, so all this stuff coming up, and uh, tonight, Alex Gray in just a few minutes. So let's play a little bit of music here. I'll get the phones worked out, make sure everything's cool, and we'll come back with uh, my guest for the evening, the uh, amazing and uh, visionary artist, Alex Gray. So stick around. That's coming up in just a few minutes. In the meantime, this is Mike Hagen. You listen to Radio Orbit on KOPN. And this is also Brian Eno uh, from his new release, Just Another Day. This is the title track. Stick around. Be back in just a few minutes with Alex Gray. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia.
New stuff from Brian Eno. That's just another day. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia. And uh, as I said before the break there, uh, we're going to start things off a little bit uh, differently than we typically do. We're not going to have an interview at the top of the hour. We're going to start it right away. And uh, uh, I think the sooner the better with this one, actually. I've been quite excited for quite a long time, and I've been working on this for quite a while. had uh, quite a bit of conversation uh, with my guest and his lovely wife over the last few months trying to set this up, and I'm really glad uh, to be able to do it tonight. Uh, as I said earlier, my guest tonight, his name is Alex Gray, and he's one of the most visionary, imaginative, transformative, revolutionary, evolutionary artist <laughs> I'm trying to think what how many more adjectives can I come up with but anyway one of the most astounding artists that I've ever uh, had the uh, good luck to come across and uh, he requires no long introduction we're going to get things going right away here and uh, real fast uh, Alex Gray welcome to Radio Orbit thanks so much for being here with us tonight thank you Mike um, glad to be here uh, that was a beautiful Eno piece yeah, he just uh, released a new CD maybe a month ago or so, and uh, that one in particular uh, really sort of strikes me. And uh, I've always liked Brian Eno, and he does. He's still still doing great stuff. Uh, Alex, you're you're in, in New York, I think, for the, for the listeners. Is that right? That's correct. New York City. New York City, amazing. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, thanks very much for being with us. As I said before, I've looked very forward to this, and uh, uh, I'm real familiar with your work, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners are as well, but uh, to have the opportunity to chat with you here is something that I feel real fortunate to be able to do, so let's get that out of the way, but uh, from my heart, honestly, thanks very much for, for, uh, for doing the show tonight. Oh, you're welcome, and I appreciate it, Mike. It's, I'm honored. All right, well, look, um, as I said, the, uh, the listeners, many of the people in my audience may be familiar with your artwork, uh, and some of them may not be, but uh, even those that are, they probably don't uh, know a whole lot about where your vision comes from and what sort of inspires you and uh, because uh, the work certainly comes from from some place that uh, that that many people <laughs> are not very familiar with and I thought maybe we'd start off talking a little bit just about your background and how you uh, how you sort of came uh, came into art to, to begin with mm. well it seems that um, I guess I just never stopped making the art you know I think all of us are kind of born artists and uh, um, my mom has uh, given me works that she had saved from when I was five years old 
and uh, they even include skeletons, and uh, which is a subject that I'm still painting, although mine are glowing a lot more these days. <laughs> right. But the uh, um, the subject of mortality uh, that hovers over the work uh, was uh, there pretty early, and uh, I guess the um, source of the uh, subject matter that I'm more involved with uh, at this time um, is uh, related to an interest in trying to portray uh, the nature of consciousness through a visual medium. And since consciousness is kind of invisible and, uh, you know, uh, doesn't have any weight or mass, necessarily, but we're all um, participants in it. If we're listening or if we're talking, um, we are using our consciousness. And I somehow wanted to um, start making work that referenced um, at least a little bit about the nature of consciousness. Right, right. Yeah, it was, it's, it's pretty obvious right up front that you had uh, you, you have a tremendous knowledge or understanding of anatomy uh so that was obviously something that uh that, that you that you took on quite early and i've looked at some of your older pieces from when you were younger and and yeah certainly that uh anatomical thing really comes through even in your earlier art right well at a certain point uh, that is after my first lsd trip i um decided that i needed to study more about uh the nature of consciousness and uh look into this physical apparatus, uh, the box that consciousness comes in, our our physical uh, form, and to um, be able to uh, do dissections and things like that. I worked at a medical school morgue for about five years, and uh, so uh, preparing bodies and also uh, studying, you know, the nature of uh, anatomy, and uh, so then I taught anatomy for about 10 years uh, to artists and uh, was mostly um, sculpting and drawing the skeleton and muscle systems and things. But um, I try to render that in my paintings more translucently so Mm -hmm. that it's uh, sort of like if the visible man were made of glass, um, uh, if you could imagine that and that the uh, veins and nerves and everything were kind of glowing in their own color. And um, then it's sort of like uh, everyman activities, you know, uh, kissing and praying and, uh, you know, being pregnant and, uh, you know, uh, reading to your child and things like that. It's sort of taking um, a lens of clairvoyant perception over sort of the natural, normal things that kind of make life worth living. And uh, it's also to show the sort of bioelectromagnetic lines of force that connect between people to try and get a tangible sense of this uh, sort of um, amoeboid uh, astral uh, and uh, uh, etheric and causal body that surrounds us as this subtle energy. And uh, 
So the the center, subtle energy fields that are glowing and interpenetrating the physical body, like with the acupuncture meridians and points mm-hmm. and the chakras and auras and things like that, uh, to to bring that together with the anatomy uh, that's seen translucently is a way to point toward a kind of more universal human. Mm. And uh, this uh, was something that sort of religions uh, aimed at. But also, um, I thought uh, you could make a kind of contemporary sacred art that might be able to reference or draw from the well, the collective well of religion, but not be beholden to mm-hmm. only one faith, to, right. to kind of make an interfaith um, right. uh, transcendental realism. Okay. Well, look, uh, one of the things that, uh, if there was sort of a, if there was one, uh, or I guess there are many, but one particular truism that I think that's come out of the, the so-called New Age is this idea that, that images can heal and and uh, but the the contra implication of course being that uh, images can also make you sick yeah <laughs> right and I think that you, that your art sort of addresses this because you you obviously have an understanding that these that images can do both of these things and that and that art can be used as sort of a healing force maybe you could chat a little bit about uh, about art as a healing force and how you see your art uh, through through that sort of lens? Well, the Sacred Mirror series um, is a way to gain access to these different levels, as we are talking about, of the anatomy. Hey, Alex, let, let, yes. me, let me jump in real fast yes. uh, and, and uh, let everyone know the visual is a big part of this uh, talk that we're having here, so I should mention the websites. Uh, if if anybody is uh, in front of your computer, get online and go over to RadioOrbit.com or else uh, jump directly over to uh, AlexGray.com. That's A-L-E-X-G-R-E-Y.com. And uh, from either one of our sites, you can, uh, uh, you can jump around and start to follow along with some of the stuff we'll be talking about. But certainly, if you're not familiar with Alex's art, uh, please do that because uh, it is... Uh, It'll be a profound thing for you, first of all, but also it'll really help as we talk about some of the things that he's uh, that he's doing with his art. So, uh, so alexgray.com, uh, G-R-E-Y, or radioorbit.com, you guys know that one. And, uh, okay, back to you, Alex. I'm sorry about that. No problem. In the Sacred Mirrors, uh, I've portrayed the various different levels of the uh, physical anatomy, nervous system, skeletal system, uh, cardiovascular and the viscera, muscle system, things like that. And those are portrayed in very uh, crisp and detailed, uh, anatomically precise uh, manner so that one can meditate on that system and get a sense of their own system. And... Um, it's a healthy whole system. So, if that's a, if one of these uh, areas is a problem for you, you can meditate on a healthy and whole system, or at least get a grasp of of that physical system that may need healing. Okay. And uh, then it goes on uh, to the various uh, races and sexes, and there's the the intention that we heal our relations between each other to be able to 
see ourselves reflected in others. The sense of the sacred mirror um, mm. is a way to uh, sort of attempt to get a little bit beyond the uh, confines of the ego and to begin that reflective process. And uh, then the next layer of the sacred mirrors uh, goes through these subtle energies that we spoke of that surround the body. And then the body itself kind of melts down into a universal mind lattice, which is a uh, omnidirectional series of fountains and drains of light. It, it uh, comes from a experience that my wife and I had many years ago, mm-hmm. practically 20 years ago, uh, when we, uh, or longer than that, I guess it's 30 years, jeez, uh, <laughs> um, but it changed our art, where we melted down into these uh, fountains and drains of light and were connected with every other being and thing in the universe, and uh, they were all these little fountains and drains of light all over, too. And the energy that was going through us was the energy of love. Mm. And so for me, this was a kind of profound healing uh, of my dissociation and alienation from the world. It meant that we were connected on a very profound level that was impossible to really understand conceptually, but it seemed that it was more real than this kind of physical reality. And uh, so it seemed like this realm of reality was a shadow thrown off from that shining um, heaven realm. And uh, so at any rate, then it goes into the other divine archetypes, uh, male and female, the the bodhisattva, the uh, thousand-armed Avalokitesvara, the Buddha of active compassion. And uh, then Jesus, who is a common healing um, meditative uh, being, you know, he brought. He was one of the greatest healers of all times. And then the the image of the feminine Godhead, Sophia, and uh, and then a reflection of yourself as God. Mm. So the whole notion of um, healing body, mind, and spirit is taken up in the Sacred Mirror series. All right, and and. Uh uh, for those who aren't familiar, again, the Sacred Mirror, it's actually called the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors, and it uh, is the current, uh, ex- or at least one of, I, I think it's the only one, but I think it's your current exhibition uh, right now that's uh, that's up in New York, and, and it's and it's actually astounding, Alex. I'm, 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 I'm there right now, and uh, there, there are 21 of these, uh, of these paintings, and... Yeah, you go through them uh, through the through the, the the different sort of levels, like you just mentioned. But I understand a little bit better now why you were talking about making art that is that is sacred, but sort of non non denominational. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, also, if you include the m- multiple denominations, then you're also saying something uh, rather new as well. Um, the religions used to kind of keep to themselves as far as their sacred imagery. You start uh, uh, bringing them together, you've got a more inclusive and perhaps integrative uh, multicultural perspective on the sacred. 
And uh, at the same time, I think the real quest is to find the the current sort of mythic archetypes that will lead to a sustainable hmm. and uh, uh, ultimately peaceful um, human being. Right, and culture and situation in general on this planet. Exactly. So. Well, uh, s- since... You sort of lead me here. I wasn't going to bring this up yet, but uh, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, that some of your early inspiration came from psychedelic experience. But before that, I know that you had been working on sort of polarities. Yes. Uh, this this idea of the, of the duality that, that we live in, and then after your experience, uh, and I'm not sure if it was an LSD experience or if it was psilocybin or if it was ayahuasca or whatever it was. Acid. But, okay. <laughs> um, you, 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 you then it took off on a journey at least to sort of bring those two opposites together, the sort of coincidencia oppositorum that Terence used to talk about. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. And, and that, again, sort of comes through uh, with what we're talking about right now. Well, it's really curious because this kind of ultimate rift is between uh, spirit and matter. Mm. And so the my work directly tries to bring those things together. But um the before before I was thinking <laughs> in those terms, I was thinking more of the opposites of male and female and day and night and good and evil and all these kinds of dualities that we live in from day to day in our thought process and our judgments and you know this is this that's that that's a conceptual mind just going on and on and the uh the state of duality i portrayed in variety of performances one of them by shaving my hair uh, from one side and the other side was extremely long <laughs> and uh, I went around like this for half a year oh of course and uh, did some other strange performances during that time including making a portrait a self-portrait uh, that was smiling and putting it on an in an ad slot on a um, subway train in Boston <laughs> riding back and forth on the subway uh, uh, documenting it, and so there was a, the element of of public and private. I was, uh, I think, only I knew what I was doing there, but uh, people did either find it amusing or were pretty a little bit creeped out by it. So, um, and that that tends to be the way that a lot of my performances went. I think. Oh, funny. Um, Reminds me of the old Star Trek episode with the guy that had the half black face and the half white face. Wow! Uh, that uh, Kirk was, uh, <laughs> who was so torn between his good and his bad side. It was oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, look. Um, let me ask you another question. I'm sort of curious about the New York thing. Yeah. Uh, New York is lots of things, but. Uh, some people, when we talk about sacred art, and, and your, your your art would be defined by those who love it as sacred. And then there are probably another group, though, that would say sacred art is sort of woo-woo and just somehow marginal. And, and that uh, you're sort of there in New York City where the rationalist trenches are. And, and uh, 
I don't know. I just I I, I just think that some people must say, uh, what, what's this foolishness?" But but you uh, <laughs> but maybe they haven't had a mystical experience. I think that's something that you've mentioned in the the video I watched recently, and I should mention that uh, uh, Jay Widener did a wonderful uh, piece uh, with you that was called Art Mind. Uh, from uh, Sacred Mysteries Productions, and Jay is a wonderful guy and a friend of mine, and someone who I've spoken to before. But uh, at any rate, uh, what's what do you find there in New York with your particular kind of art? Well, I think that in some ways you might expect to find my home in San Francisco, uh, <laughs> or perhaps somewhere else. I don't know, but. Uh, my wife and I have always loved art in all of its manifestations and wanted to live here so we could be near uh, the it, at least to many people the art capital still of, of the world even though there it's much more decentralized at this point but uh there's still a lot going on around here and it's also where a lot of the art journals uh, come out of. Mm. And so the art critics who look at art, a lot of the serious ones, though not all of them by any means, um, live in New York City and come to New York City and uh, major museums as well. And so there is a, a cultural sophistication um, in New York City that's practically unlike anywhere else. Mm -hmm. But, you know, yet you'd find it in most of the major cities. Right. Um, and so we felt that uh, the work deserved to be placed into the culture uh, at the potentially uh, most impactful place. And uh, it still doesn't mean that mm. it's it's the usual Chelsea kind of art uh, material. I'm not claiming that, but um, to place it in the heart of the art world, uh, this Chapel of Sacred Mirrors, um, is a way of just uh, sharing the work with uh, the widest art uh, public possible. Right, right, right. And uh, I, I feel that... Um, New York has been more open to themes that are both psychedelic and spiritual over the last few years, since 9-11. Hmm. And uh, I think that 9-11 really uh, had a tremendous impact on the uh, psyche of New York City. Hmm. And uh, so I think that at least for some artists, it's resulted in a... Uh, a turn toward a you know deeper reality, if right, they were. Right, right. All right. Well, good. I'm glad because how, how, how's the exhibition faring? Are you getting uh, lots of people going through? Oh, the hall? thousands and thousands of people have come to the uh, chapel over the last year. It hasn't quite been a year. In fact, uh, September 17th, we will celebrate our first anniversary. Hmm. All right. And at the full moon, we do full moon prayer gatherings and uh, which are kind of uh, interfaith um, uh, just uh, variety shows right. <laughs> and uh, we have a, a shaman from Peru and our uh, kirtan singing and 
we've had the head of the Sufi order. My wife does the Parsha. Wow, amazing. And uh, I always jabber on about something. <laughs> and uh, so musical guests and whatnot. But uh, um, so that's going to be happening. We're going to have an all-night trance party as well um, in, as part of that celebration. And uh, drumming and dancing will go on by our shaman, Mizamani. Amazing. Uh, so that's what's coming up soon. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, as I was sort of preparing uh, to talk with you over the last couple of weeks, I'd just been sort of digging around and going through some of my old stuff, and I found an old interview that you had done uh, in uh, in Nevada at Burning Man in, uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was maybe two or three years ago. I'm not sure exactly when. Yeah. 2002 or 2003, but uh, at any rate, and then I looked at my calendar and I thought, shoot, uh, uh, Burning Man is going on right now. That's right. And it actually, I think, I think today is the official close. Uh, however, you know, it stays open longer sometimes than uh, than than the official uh, notification. You never know how long it goes on. But right. uh, at any rate, yeah, I was thinking about it today and I thought, what well, amazing that, that that you and I had set up this uh, uh, this talk. Months ago, I mean, it was just sort of this random thing. I, I sent uh, Allison an email, and she said, oh, gosh, you know, we're so busy. We've got the school on Monday nights and all this, and, and Alex uh, won't have a Monday night free until until September or something. And this was back in May or June. Right. And I said, I don't care. You know, whatever the first Monday he's got that you, that you guys want to do, that would be great. And it turns out it's it's, it's the last day of Burning Man, and right. uh, and I just found that old tape, and I'm like, gosh, the... The, the cosmic giggle approaches once again. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, really true. It's a great way to bring that into the conversation because it's probably the largest outcropping of visionary culture on the planet right. and uh, of contemporary visionary culture. Hmm. And uh, also, it's uh, just a, a testament to what the creative freedom that's outside of any institution can uh, come up with. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, let's take a little break here, and we'll play a a piece of music, stick around, you'll like it, and and, um, then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about Burning Man and the implications of that event and other events like it around the world, and uh, uh, we'll just follow that thread for a little while, okay? Terrific, Mike. All right, stick around, everybody. My guest is Alex Gray. And uh, we'll be talking with him hopefully for uh, a little while longer here about art and creativity and imagination and lots of other things. So stick around. you got that to look forward to. In the meantime, this is something that some of you might be familiar with, but most of you probably not. But uh, this one in particular is for Alex. So, all right, back in a few minutes. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia. Where we really want to be is naked, singing in the rainforest, stoned and exalted, one with the souls of the ancestors, one with the Gaian spirit of the planet.
All right, this is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia. That is a couple of tracks, actually track number two, I think it's called Jungle Rhythm, and it's from uh, a benefit CD that was called Journey Through the Spheres, and it was a benefit for uh, Terrence McKenna that was done by a wonderful group of people uh, at the Novelty Group. And uh, I've talked about that a little bit on the air before, but uh, that one goes out uh, to Terrence and uh, to anybody else who uh, who loved him like I did. And uh, uh, we'll get back to my guest right now, Alex Gray, uh, a uh, visionary and transformative artist uh, working and living in New York City. And uh, we're lucky to have him tonight. And you can get both of us uh, at uh, the web, www.radioorbit.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com, just one O in the middle there, uh, or directly to Alex's site at alexgray, G-R-E-Y.com, no spaces, nothing, just A-L-E-X-G-R-E-Y.com. And you can look at some of the wonderful uh, work that Alex is uh, doing today and that he's done over the years. All right, Alex, uh, how you doing? I'm doing great, and it was really nice to hear Terrence brought in to the equation. I've uh, been inspired by him for many years and got to hang out with him a little bit. And, and One of my pieces was directly related to his stone monkey theory. <laughs> I had a, a psilocybin mushroom uh, being held up by this sort of dawn human and uh, there's a cornucopia of language sort of um, bioluminescently emanating from their mouth and uh, a little hyperdimensional elf whispering sweet everything <laughs> into this monkey human. Oh, man. Yeah, that's an amazing one. That's one of my favorites of yours, actually. And, you know, speaking of language, I just had a call uh, off uh, while we were on the break there, and... One of my listeners called and mentioned that he had jumped over to... I have, I have Allison's site linked uh, on the website, too. And uh, she does some amazing art of her own. And, and uh, there's, uh, in, in particular, with language in mind. Uh, the, secret, the Secret Language series is just wonderful. I've always loved it. I, thought, I think it's just awesome. Uh, at any rate, uh, somebody called, so I wanted to mention that and uh, let everyone know that uh, Allison Gray is also quite a fantastic artist in her own right, and you can get to her site uh, right from uh, from Radio Orbit as well. And again, you can go to her site at Allison Gray, A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-G-R-E-Y.com. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just overflowing from uh, from the Gray household. And then I then, then I was thinking about Xena again today when I heard your old uh, interview f- from uh, this, the talk you guys gave at, at Burning Man. And maybe we can talk again about Burning Man, Alex. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, you've got a wonderful daughter. Who's yeah, she's 16, and uh, she was in the recent movie In Good Company. Uh-huh. came out uh-huh. this year, and she just shot something called Shaggy Dog, which I guess we'll be releasing next year. All right. Um, yeah, uh, that was a fun talk we all got to give as a family at uh, Burning Man. We were talking about sort of psychedelic family values. And... Uh, <laughs> The uh, and there was a little picture of Terrence actually uh, hanging on the altar, as, uh, enjoying the proceedings. Mm-hmm. But um, the uh, the notion was just you know how do you 
how do you live in this society uh, when the substances are demonized and uh, they may possibly be a portal into a higher mm. uh, world, uh, a world where you can contact a spiritual kind of reality right. if you need those doors of perception to be blown off. And uh, as I did, you know, <laughs> as a young man. Right, right. Well, it's, fu- it, it, it's, it's not funny ha-ha, but it's funny strange uh, that... You know, early on, and we, and I think this is a good opportunity to talk about psychedelics a little bit. But early on, in the in in the late '60s and in the '70s, you know, these compounds were referred to as consciousness expanding agents, or or or, or something to that effect. And you know, if if consciousness isn't the defining uh, aspect of of the human being. I'm not sure what is, and and so if 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 we're not uh, if we're not interested in expanding that, then it seems uh, that we're not interested in moving forward. So, and I think it's interesting. I, I think it's interesting that the language changed pretty quickly at at the official levels. You know what I mean? They were no longer called that. They were right. called very quickly hallucinogens and right. uh, and and some other. Uh, le- less uh, flattering names, but at any rate, maybe you could chat about that. Well, I think that uh, what's also interesting is that the people who have uh, taken the greatest interest in these substances and have seen them for their highest value then have redubbed them as well, uh, now calling mm. them entheogens mm-hmm. uh, because uh, they allow us to glimpse the God within. Uh, and Theo. You know? wow. So this is the, uh, I think, the more legitimate um, title for what I would consider to be soul medicines um, that should be able to someday, we hope, in a freer America, find a legitimate um, venue in um, in a responsible way and for the education to include a way of uh, finding them as um, tools, you know, that uh, not to be taken lightly at all, but uh, Hmm. as we deepen our understanding of ourselves through therapy and various things like this, and, uh, you know, most of the uh, psychiatry now... uh, relies a great deal on pharmacology mm-hmm. just to manage people's depressions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, what if we could do better than manage p- to numb people's depressions, and which is very important at mm-hmm. some times when you're suicidally depressed or you're you know, practically catatonic, you're, you can't move, you're so uh, uh, in despair. Uh, it really is essential and helpful uh, that these drugs have come up. I'm, I'm not uh, despairing them. I'm just saying that what if uh, there were also uh, medicines that could uh, dilate the pupils of the uh, of consciousness to such a degree that we could glimpse our own souls and perhaps a sense of our mission on Earth. And uh, if that were in alignment with the same reality that the mystics from all the ages have discovered, 
that this uh, tool for aligning ourselves with divine wisdom uh, should be uh, used and integrated into uh, our spiritual lives, if possible. And uh, so I'm a strong advocate of cognitive liberty uh, and not saying that everyone should do it, for God's sake, but just that it should be legally available to those who... Um, desire to contact God in that way. Now, the peyote-taking Native American church are one of the only uh, legitimate uh, religions that uh, allow this uh, psychedelic use, but a white person can't take the same peyote. And we're all human beings. Um, uh, So this seems to be a a real uh, kind of problem uh, in terms of uh, these substances. There's also an ayahuasca church mm-hmm. uh, that uh, has at least temporarily been uh, allowed by the American government to uh, function. And uh, these are legitimate churches down in Brazil. Right. Uh, there's uh, three of these major churches, and they have branches in other parts of the world. And they're a syncretic Christian. Um, they're... <laughs> Really, we shouldn't persecute them, you know, in the land of Christians, you know, because this is a, a very powerful, uh, syncretic uh, uh, Christian sect who very strongly has made contact with Jesus and Mary and the main archetypes of Christianity. So it's a, they're a very loving uh, people, and uh, and entheogens have been part of their sacrament, you know. Very interesting. Yeah. All right, well... Uh Certainly, psychedelic. A couple, couple things that come to mind. Psychedelics, obviously, a catalyst for the imagination. I don't think that anyone uh, can argue that, uh, can argue against that point. Right. Um, the, 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 and your art certainly, uh, uh, not that it's all inspired uh, that way, but, but uh, certainly some of it is, or much of it is. And uh, for those who have had uh, any of these experiences, it, it, it really. Uh, is profound because one of the most difficult things coming out of those spaces is trying to put language on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, as the old uh, the old ism goes, you know, a, a picture is worth a thousand words, and certainly uh, some of these do do those things. Well, the I think that um, painting is a language, mm. and if you're able to wrap form and color around this, um, what for me is an extremely dynamic sort of river of jewels and multicolored, uh, you know, sort of rainbow-hued spaces and vast, infinite kind of expanses that one glimpses in the, these uh, visionary inner realms, um, trying to bring wrestle some of that energy back into a painting is a challenge. But it's sort of like uh, the early American uh, painters, the Hudson River School, and then later the, uh, uh, like Alfred Bierstadt and things like that. Mm -hmm. In the 19th century, they went out to the Grand Canyon and other places before anyone else could see it, and they painted it. Mm -hmm. And... uh, so this was a, a kind of a, a rarely seen 
reality that then they brought uh-huh. back to places like New York City right. and theatrically displayed, you know, what it what it's like out there, you know. And so in the same way, you uh Painters who represent the transcendental inner dimensions that are accessible through either meditation or psychedelic experience and things are in a way bringing back the mindscape uh, that is potential. And this is part of what these works uh, that I've been doing uh, point to. And as you were saying, they're not all uh, sort of induced by... Uh, psychedelic experiences. Uh, many of them have come through sort of meditative experiences or just naturally. Right. And uh, so, just like an, a musician hears sounds, you know, I think painters and uh, visual artists just see visions. All right. Look, I, I have I have an observation I want to share with you. L- let me do a quick ID here. Because uh, we're at the top of the hour. You're right. listening to KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. And this is Radio Orbit. My name is Mike Hagan, and I'm with you every Monday from uh, 11 p.m. until 2 a.m. My guest tonight is Alex Gray. Uh, speaking of transcendental, there's uh, another adjective that we can mm-hmm. apply to uh, uh, Mr. Gray tonight. But anyway, a wonderful artist uh, living and working in New York City uh, with his wife, Allison. And uh, we're talking about art and uh, lots of other things. Uh, relative to it. So, uh, all right, Alex, you you mentioned the, this idea of building a painting, sort of the, the, uh, directing that energy, like you just mentioned. There, you also do sculpture. Yes. And 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 to me, um, all right. Let me see if I can if I if I can say what I'm thinking. Uh, you you like uh, Michelangelo as well, and I know that. And he was this amazing, remarkable sculptor. Right. Uh, but it I, seems I have no uh, uh, pretenses to uh, uh, aiming that high. No, no. Uh, with my work. No, <laughs> I, I I just need to use him as my reference point, though, because he he used to talk about how uh, the the sculpture was already enclosed in yes. the rock and that all he did was take away that which was unnecessary and then revealed the the form below, right? True. So it's sort yeah. of the opposite, taking away as opposed to the, the the painting where you where you actually apply the material to your medium, whatever whether it's canvas or I think a lot of your work is acrylic on what do you what do you paint on? I paint on wood or I paint on linen, and uh, a lot of it is uh, oil paint, but uh, there are some acrylic paintings, and uh, so, uh, yeah, Michelangelo, he really despised painting for that reason, you know, it was additive instead of uh, subtractive. And, uh, but I he, see that duality again. You know what I mean? <laughs> I see that again coming through, where you can, where you do both sides, and that's what I wanted yeah. to point out. I think. Sure. No, I I love sculpture. I love all the arts, and I love architecture. And uh, sometimes, you know, you see a vision, and it it isn't a painting; it's a sculpture. You know. Hmm. I mean, when I was waiting for a subway, there was this uh, sort of being that appeared on the subway. Uh, platform there and uh, it was a being that had all these eyes all over the top of its head and it opened its wings and it 
kind of spun around and I saw it was this four-faced hermaphroditic uh, self-copulating um, dwarf <laughs> and uh, with all these different uh, aspects like a fish's tail and and claws and a, and a big uh, um, wings and things and kind of these shamanic animals that integrated and it was perched on an earth on, and so this was the world soul it had a peaceful and a wrathful aspect and uh, the wrathful aspect cradled new life so I could see right away it was a 360 degree sculpture and not a um, you know a flat painting so that took two years of my life and that's in the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors as well. It's sitting up kind of on the uh, the main stage or the altar. Well, I'll tell you, you know, the more you look at, at this stuff, and unfortunately I've never seen it uh, in, in the flesh, so to speak, but um, all of your art, the closer you look at it, the more you see, uh, there, there's a there's a fractal sort of infinity thing going on with <laughs> much of what you, what what you do and and uh, the it's just it's just astounding and I, I well a lot of times I use a uh, magnifying glass to uh, paint some of the details I was oh. just doing that today and uh, it's a um, it's very interesting that uh, you said um, seeing the paintings in the flesh. Because it's my kind of theory that uh, there's something that has to do with uh, paint, paintings and human skin mm. that uh, is weird and, and deep. A lot of paintings that we've been used to looking at have been of portraits. And so mm. even people like Rembrandt and stuff, they right. really render their flesh so it appears as though it's living. And so this association of the skin with paint uh, transmutes uh, a painted surface into uh, a kind of psychic skin. I've always felt like wow. it's an impression of the psyche, you know, that it is a rendering of the psychic skin. So we're tattoo artists tattooing our psyche onto uh, some visible surface amazing and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow I, hey I have a, a poem about uh, art called the seer should I should I read it to you you know the synchronicities go on and on remember at the beginning of the show I told you that I was going to read something but then I thought I'd wait yes well that's what I was going to read, but oh my god! <laughs> and it was between that and there was another one that I liked that was called um, uh, "Bless Your Eyes." Oh yeah, uh, which I loved because it was a picture uh, or an image of Zena staring at the moon that was associated with it, and I thought it was just absolutely beautiful. But please, uh, please do. All right, I'll read it. Unbelievable, Jesus! <laughs> the seer from the caves of Altamira. To a New York studio, the seer has inspired the artist with vision's unceasing flow. The seer is the soul of the artist, magus through ages untold, transmuting the lead of matter into bullets of spiritual gold. The ego picks up the weapon of art, childlike it plays with the trigger, 
blowing the head off its contracted self, awareness is suddenly bigger. By slaying the ego and stunning the chatter of thoughts as they rise, great art shuts out distractions, delighting the heart through the eyes. The seer is the soul of the artist, revealing the mystery as form, advancing our civilization by inventing and destroying the norm. The redemptive sorceress, art, can heal the nausea of being, opening vistas of hope and beauty, revealing deep patterns of meaning. The function of art is to stop us and take us out of our skin, unveiling the spirit's pure nakedness without beginning or end. The seer is the soul of the artist, gaze fixed on primordial perfection. Radiance emerges from emptiness, each point of light etched with affection. The boundless void, open and formless, is the basis of all creation. Visions appear and then dissolve, reinforcing this realization. From beyond, the vision descends. From within, the vision arises, coalescing in the divine imagination, source of continual surprises. The seer is the soul of the artist. The maker is the artist's hand. In the studio, their conversations translate a timeless command. These dialogues of maker and seer weave together matter with soul, consecrating the practice of art as speech of the ineffable. Art making transforms the artist and to any hearts truly under creation's intoxicating spell, the seer transmits holy wonder. Absolutely remarkable. That's cool that you're going to read it. Wow, just just an absolute mind blower. All right, Alex, I think let's take another quick break here, okay? I need need a breath after that one. So, uh, and this is another one uh, that's sort of uh, an interesting... Reference it. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit after the song, but this is Tool, and uh, the song is called Schism, and it's from a CD called Lateralist. And uh, Alex will probably know a little bit about that when we come back. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM.
Tool, Schism from Lateralist. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia. All right, let's get right back to it. My guest, Alex Gray. Hi, Alex. How about that, huh? I love those guys. <laughs> oh, they're, my God. They're my friends. And uh, we have uh, done a lot of work together. I had the good fortune to meet Adam back in 1999. And right, he asked me to uh, work with them on the designing the art for Lateralis. And there's uh, a kind of see-through uh, mylar book that's like the old health science charts right. of the anatomy, right. uh, except that I've tried to add the soul to the physical uh, anatomy through various ways. And uh, Adam was happy enough with that. Uh, I mean, he had been suggesting uh, doing some kind of uh, chart, you know, and so it was... It was really his inspiration, and uh, but he let me develop it in a unique way. So, and I came up with these uh, kind of flaming eyes, and the uh, I must have gotten hundreds of flaming eye tattoos now. Uh, <laughs> that uh, it, it's really amazing the kind of. Uh, connection that fans have wow. with Tool. It's so powerful. Yeah. And I feel really fortunate that uh, my artwork could get between <laughs> them uh, and the uh, music in some way, in mm -hmm. some sympathetic way. And uh, so we're working on a book together uh, now that's of all the different collaborations because I worked on a, a minute of the Parabola music video there at the end where a guy melts down into the right. universal mind lattice. Right. Uh, uh, and it was the first chance to really animate one of my uh, sort of see-through, uh, translucent yeah. people. Yeah, how cool. Uh, so that was uh, was really great. Yeah, those th th those guys are great. I have, I've, I've been a fan of them for a long time. I got to see them at, um, uh, at Red Rocks in Colorado about... I don't know. I guess it was probably four or five years ago now. But oh man, one of the one of, one of the best uh, one of the best live shows I've ever been to. Absolutely mind blowing. It was like it was a psychedelic experience. The show alone, you know. Right, I mean? right. I know, and the music is so loud that it reaches into your gut oh. and just like kind of works it. And uh, so, I mean, I think that art like that uh, takes the um, audience into a kind of shamanic mm. and sometimes healing space. And as we were talking about before, it can be potentially uh, toxic, <laughs> you know, but in their hands, it's both powerful and ultimately uplifting, right. you know. Yeah, and, the, uh, the, the recurring theme of this duality, the, 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 the polarities that somehow have to reconcile one another. Right, right. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a it's a powerful piece. I think they're getting ready to release Schism, uh, the video, and uh, Parabola as a, a DVD, and uh, we've been working on a DVD interview uh, together too. Wow, that sounds great. That'll be uh, that'll be something else, something for people to look forward to. You know, uh, and for people that that don't have uh, the CD, the little booklet that Alex is talking about is really cool. It's like this layover thing where you have sort of these different levels again of the human anatomy, and 
uh, and each page sort of lays over the next level or whatever, and it's really cool. And then with these with these fire eyes, <laughs> so yeah, amazing stuff, Alex. All right. Well, uh, we, we we mentioned uh, we mentioned shamanism, and and certainly music somehow and art in general has some sort of a relationship uh, relationship to, to the shaman. Um, yeah, that's when, true. I mean, the uh, the shamans were frequently the musicians, or at least they would use music or song uh, sometimes to do their healings or to take um, other people or themselves into uh, the journeys that they take on as a benefit for the community. Right. That's the uh, uh, one writer. Uh, was interested in relating my artwork to uh, the sh- shamanic uh, kind of journey. And I thought it was an interesting metaphor, and various art critics and, and thinkers have applied the notion of the shaman, one who sort of travels to the visionary domain mm-hmm. for the benefit of their community and then comes back and brings some kind of healing message or energy. Right. And... Uh, to serve the community. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, one would hope that it has some of that effect, but I'm not pretending to uh, be a shaman mm-hmm. of any of these uh, traditions. I, I deeply respect the uh, discipline that it takes for them to uh, become shaman. Right, and, right, uh, right. But I do think yeah. that there's some resonance between the the pursuits of uh, these uh, visions and the garnering some of their healing potential and bringing that back. Mm. Right, and and I want to make the point that you rightfully, I think, make that point that it's not to be taken lightly. The the not everybody is a shaman, and sometimes these men and women uh, embark on things that. Uh, no mere mortal <laughs> can uh, uh, can embark upon, and it's uh, there may well, be well, you know, some of them uh, basically go crazy and don't really uh, make it through, mm. you know, mm. and uh, but depending on who they're being taught by, I think that many do make it through right. and right. then are able to serve their uh, community in a in a deeper way. All right. Well, and that ties back into what we were talking about before. This whole uh, one of the challenges about the psychedelics is that uh, it is something that requires a teacher. It is something that, in order to do it correctly, you need some guidance, and it's not something uh, that should be taken lightly, and it's something that should be taken very seriously and understood. Uh, about what's happening before you go into it, and 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 of course the shaman plays that role and can sort of play that role for us too, but 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 in general in culture that doesn't exist. Yes, and that's a real shame, and I think that uh, <laughs> it's a shame, man. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that the um, the future may birth a kind of therapeutic relationship with uh, a guide you know who would basically be a spiritual friend mm. who could uh, assist those who are going into these states or who uh, need some kind of um, sitter mm. you know, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that uh, shamanic knowledge will be uh, better integrated into our culture, uh, the more widely known the... I mean, it's already happening. Right. There's there's a lot of uh, teachers who've been bringing some of that wisdom back. Well, you know, I, I, as we talk about it right now, I just think, well, I know about it, and Alex knows about it, and lots. Of, I'm not. I'm nothing really special. I happen to get lucky and come across somebody who taught me, you know, uh, some things, and then I and I'm curious, <laughs> you know, myself. So. Uh, but there are obviously lots of people uh, that are that are uh, in the loop, so to speak. Right. Um, is it, it? It's it's a critical mass issue, or it's a you know it's a general, it's immediate. I guess you can talk all night about what the problems are, but uh, I don't know. Oh. What do, what do you think about the new communications technologies and these sorts of things? Because I see the web as just a, sort of a psychedelic in and of itself, almost. Absolutely. Well, the um, I guess the psychedelic is the um, related to maximalism. You know, it's like, and that's what our culture is all about as well. You know, there's yeah. there's too much of everything all at once, and uh, that's that's what psychedelics are really about. It's about accessing your ability to be everything and to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, have it, you know, for somebody who's not prepared for it, it sets off a kind of ontological panic because your boundaries have suddenly dissolved Mm. and you see uh, how connected everything is, but also how essentially, um, you know, rooted you are in the all. Mm. And... uh, that takes one immediately to a kind of uh, transcendental um, boundlessness. Right. right, and the Internet can have that same effect. Yes. I mean, it, it, I mean talk about a boundary-dissolving tool, my gosh. Yeah, it's really true. And uh, um, some hackers find that very interesting um, <laughs> and like to dissolve them even further. Mm. But the... Uh, yeah, the interconnectedness, the the metaphor of interconnectedness mm-hmm. uh, through the network, I think, is all, having a profound effect just on our notion of who we are uh, as, you know, what our identities are oh, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Because now we see that we can be linked uh, to each other in a very immediate way. And... Uh, uh, one that transcends the normal space-time boundaries. And uh, so that level of interconnectedness is, in a sense, a psychic reality that's, uh, that's come into form. Hmm. And uh, so it's, it's truly astonishing. And, of course, you know, psychedelics, uh, to some one degree or another, played a part in the development of the, of the PC. Absolutely. And... Uh, and Probably a lot of the tools uh, on the internet as well. Right. No so, question about it. Yeah, it's a, it's just another technology. You know, and there's something else that I'd like to get your get your two cents on uh, the, the web itself, the internet. I've seen this. Uh, I've seen an animation online that is uh, sort of a time lapse 
of the development of the web since like 1971 or something like that, right? As the thing developed, and they and they had a global view. It was a, it was a look at the planet, right? As if you were looking at it from space. Yes. And as this thing developed, and you watch it in this time lapse, and you could change the the speed at which you watched it. And I sped it up real fast, and I watched it develop. And uh, it was fully reminiscent of a neural net, a, a, a nervous system developing. And with your knowledge of anatomy and everything, I wonder what your take on, on that might be. Well, um, Teilhard de Chardin mm. talked about a neosphere. Yeah. And that was a kind of mental web that went around the Earth. And this was absolutely prior to any Internet and uh, perhaps even prior to the computer, mm. except for the really crude early ones. And uh, so his talk of this newosphere was a level of reality that he was familiar with through his sort of uh, meditative visions, a connectedness with the levels of uh, the Gaian mind that we're you know, inlaid within. And uh, this aspect of a, a conscious planet was uh, arising around the, the 50s and things. Okay. And so then this is the newosphere, in a sense, made manifest. The difference being <laughs> that uh, his was uh, a more psychic uh, level. This is very much hardware, and uh, uh, you know the mind at its crudest as well as its highest. So ironic to me, uh, Alex, because you know you mentioned that our culture is this maximalist sort of thing. The psychedelics, not only that, it's like the Western idea sort of developed this idea of ingenuity and creativity and success through those sorts of things, you know, yes, right. and imagination and creativity. That yeah. was the Yankee ingenuity that, uh, you know, any way, any way that you can to, uh, you know, have this kind of uh, uh, creative imagination at one point uh, was seen to be of great value. Right. And uh, I think that, um, you know, it's... Uh, Fear has uh, gripped our world and our nation, and uh, one really needs to find the, an inner core of light these days mm. to uh, maintain, you know, an orbit with um, with power and integrity, right. and uh, with you know rootedness in the deep values that make life worth living, like love and, mm. um, you know, service, right. you know, caring for others. And uh, these are the um, values, in a sense, that are in short supply, hmm. but the, that hearts uh, can be widened and opened. Right. And, uh, so that's just hmm. what needs to happen. No question about it. Well, with that in mind... Uh, we've sort of had a recurring theme tonight of this uh, this polarity, the, the duality, and I think there was 
there's this concept in alchemy uh, that they talk of it, they talk of the negredo and the albedo and that the the negredo is sort of the 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 but the the prima materio the, the 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 crap basically it was just crap and whatever and and but that was what was to be transformed and then the, the albedo was the white the whitening the gold that, that was the transformative product and is that maybe something that we can be looking at now is in other words maybe you know in other words there's it's darkest before the light sort of analogy I think that that's always the best context to see um, history as is an alchemical process. Mm. Now, uh, to see it practically any other way is to deny that there is a um, a spiritual process underway mm. in human evolution, and uh, so. I think that the, it's essential that we wake up as uh, soon as possible and every effort that we can make to uh, spread the love and the sense of our interconnectedness is uh, important, you know, just mm-hmm. smiling at people in our daily lives. <laughs> right, saying hi, how you doing, uh, whatever. Exactly, yeah. like the, the best part of any religion, the Dalai Lama said, was simple human kindness right. and uh, so I think that we all can relate to that and uh, to uh, bring our, our positive creative energies uh, to use in whatever it is that we do right. to take on life as an art right. you know? and that's your gift back I mean th- this uh, you mentioned that the, the the unexpected and improbable connections that come from uh, your art, for example, in, in, in the, the, the connection with the guys from Tool, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, you're, you're connected to all these other people because of the artwork that you uh, produce for their album and uh, involved with their work, etc. And that's the thing about art, is that you, you have no idea how your art may affect uh, whomever. Right. And it may have a profound effect, and it may not have particularly the effect that you intended even uh but it may have profound effect and and if everybody does their art at least uh you know it's it's that individualism that you that i that i i see so much in your work is that the individual and the, all of the people that not maybe not all but at least some of the people i know that inspire you and maybe we can talk a little bit about that uh your wonderful painting called Painting, <laughs> uh, you know, has some of the men and women that uh, have inspired you to do the work that you've done. But again, it's individuals that uh, that are making these accomplishments. And and by you doing it or anybody else, it really does show that anybody can do it. You can do it. Well, that's true. I think that uh, you know the. The history of art is a history of individuals, and uh, we can see movements and things like that as they move through people, but uh, definitely individuals had to take up the brush or whatever it is that they Mm. did um, to uh, usher in a new kind of vision. And uh, so I 
think that our responsibility is to, you know, having the deepest and highest and most powerful visions that we can and then translating that into, you know, whatever actions it is we take in our life. For me, that would be to try and make a painting out of it. Mm-hmm. And by trying to make a painting, uh, that means bringing the creative energy of that state of being into uh, physical form. Wow. Then people who are in relation to that work of art, um, I see it as a subtle body thing. You know, we have these auras around our body that extend out a few feet. Mm-hmm. I think of your uh, of the uh, subtle body as like an amoeba around your body, mm-hmm. and the amoeba has the capacity to have these psychics, these kind of pseudopods that that reach out and and grab food and things like that. And so we have these kind of psychic pseudopods that wrap themselves around works of art, and are able to absorb whatever soul nutrition is in them. And uh, that also uh, gives us access uh, to what the source was that created this work of art. And so this kind of contemplative merging of our identity or our energy field with this uh, work can bring into relation all these um, alignments with uh, with uh, this creative source with the uh, put at its highest level a, a divine source you know right. that's uh, beyond manifestation but can be pointed to and all the great uh, sacred traditions you know just think of the smiling uh, Buddha you know as mm. it sits in uh, contemplation it's an archetype uh, that if we really consider it, uh, it can imbue a sense of uh, connectedness to a... Um, well, in, my, uh, in my poem about uh, mystic art, it talks about this. Mm, well, I was, I was actually going to play that, I think. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, I've got it here. In fact, I'm... Uh, I'm again. I'm at the website, and I want to mention uh, a couple of things about about your website. Okay, Mm -hmm. Um, there is a DVD that's called World Spirit um, that you did with Kenji Kenji Williams. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and I haven't uh, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but um, and I was hunting around for it all over uh, on the web because I wanted to find this piece Lamentations off of it, Uh, but I. And you won't believe it, and I'll tell you because we're in the middle of the night here, so who cares? But uh, I was on LimeWire. I got 94% of it, and, and, the, and then the thing uh, crapped out on me, and I was so and I could not get it for the whole rest of the day, and I was so bummed. Oh, God. <laughs> but anyway, I've got uh, Mystic Art, and I had a couple of other things here. So um, uh, I wanted to mention the DVD, though, and that's available at... Uh, uh, I think you can they can uh, get you can that buy at, it at my website. Okay, so that's alexgray.com again, uh, a l e x g r e y dot com, and uh, just go to the shop section there if you're interested in that. It's very cool, I'm sure. And then uh, Alex has a couple of books as well, and uh, all this stuff is available. And the books are outrageous as well, and like about the coolest coffee table book I can imagine. Uh, Mission of Art in particular is one uh, that I might 
recommend. But at any rate, all this stuff is available at the website, and you can get there on your own. Or you can go there through my site, okay? So, all right, Alex, let's do that. Uh, uh, let, let's take a little break, and I'll play, uh, I'll play Mystic Art, and then um, we'll come back and talk about it a little bit, okay? Great. All right, cool. All right, everybody, this is uh, Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia, and my guest is Alex Gray, fantastic, wonderful artist uh, working and living in New York and uh, doing transformative and uh, transcendental visionary art uh, for many, many years now, uh, along with his wife. And I think uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Allison, too, when we get back. We've been meaning to do that, but we get uh, uh, caught up in <laughs> all these other things. So anyway, back in just a few minutes, this is Mike, and uh, this is uh, Alex. Mystic Art will be back in just a few more minutes. This is KOPN Radio Orbit 89.5 FM. All right, that's better. Seven statements on mystic art. Mystic art is spirit expressed into matter. A mystic artist receives and transmits revelation, providing their art as a medium for messages from the divine matrix of creation. Number two, mystic art establishes a visual covenant with receptive viewers, validating the boundless state and opening a portal back to spirit. Number three, the highest motivation for creating art is transcendental inspiration, which naturally arises out of spiritual intoxication, the ecstatic love of God, and the intention to share visions to benefit others. Number four. Mystic art affirms the holy mystery and the ideals of truth and goodness and beauty. No other artistic ideal can fulfill the longing soul like the creation and appreciation of relevant sacred art. Number five. Mystic art exudes a spiritual nectar, luminous food for the soul. Busy eyes taste the nectar in return for sweet nourishment. Number six. By projecting forms which are crystallized visions of spiritual illumination, mystic art helps engineer higher mind states in the viewer. Relevant sacred art renews the subtle white body surrounding and interpenetrating our physical body. Our physical body is purified, uplifted, and healed by visually absorbing deity and ideal forms. Number seven. Presence of ultimate reality absorbed through mystic art helps magnetize the viewer toward their own spiritual template and supreme identity. We must build architecture for a new way of being. The cosmic order. 
The origin of the Greek word cosmos refers both to order and adornment. The universe has a deep and beautiful order. That's why the word cosmetic shares the root word cosmos. Adornment was meant to align the adorned with the celestial order, the deep structure of reality. Art is a form of adornment and should align the viewer with the cosmic order by reflecting the ornamental beauty of reality. Ornamentation is human consciousness mirroring and expressing the abundant creative nature of the cosmos. The fertile imagination is overflowing with numinous flora and fauna. The divine imagination is an endless well of patterns springing from a single paisley mustard seed, spiralically growing, interweaving, disobeying the gravity of death and spreading via the visionary domain throughout the world. The inner world undulates with infinite iridescent swirls and artists throughout the world labor to express just a fragment of the imagination's richness. Immersion in life's currents, the flow of rivers, the rhythm of mountains and valleys, the swirling of flames and clouds, all the elements reveal the outer world's dynamic flow. Fractal wave fronts from both inner and outer worlds collide in the art of ornamentation. The artist participates in the flow of universal creativity that is both the adorning energy and itself the order of the cosmos. We are all reflections of each other in a sacred mirror. We are all reflections of each other in a sacred mirror. The mission of art is to make the soul perceptible. That was Mystic Art, and that was Alex Gray in his own words and his own voice. Thanks, Alex. Hey, for thanks for playing that, Mike. Wow, thank you for creating it. <laughs> Amazing. We were going to talk about Allison a little bit, and uh, I just wanted to say that basically I met her 30 years ago um, on my first acid trip, and... <laughs> Um, we got together uh, and stayed together, and it's um, 
really been through her inspiration that the sacred mirrors came about mm. and that there is a chapel of sacred mirrors. She's been the real muse behind the entire operation. Right. And, uh, well, so she must, you know, she must be something else. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so. Well. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, all right. Hey, let's uh, let me do something here real fast. Great. Uh, some of the operating funds for KOPN are provided by listener support and a donation from the Blue Note. Information about the Blue Note is available at www.thebluenote.com. And I'm supposed to play a promo for Robert Earl Keane Jr., but I won't play the promo because I'll just talk about it myself because I love Robert Earl Keane Jr. Uh, uh, but anyway, he's playing at the Blue Note on Wednesday. The seventh, I think, two nights from tonight. So, for information about that show, just check out thebluenote.com. Uh, Robert Earl Keen, Wednesday night. All right, um, Alex. Gosh, I I I wasn't going to mention this, but I have to mention it now because of the way Mystic Art ends. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this thing about the what Terence used to call the exteriorization or the exteriorizing of the soul. Mm-hmm. And try to try to put that into words for uh for us. Mm. You know? Well, let's see. Or is it one of these things that, that that that's the whole point? Is that is that <laughs> it's is that, beyond words? Right, right. That we can't get words. You know, uh, I'm I'm. This is the last Terence reference I'll make. But I remember now, he made a reference, at least once when I when I heard him talk about um, this poem by William Butler, Butler Yeats called "Sailing to Byzantium," and in it he talks about the artifice of eternity and when he in in the after death state that he should be this gold enameled bird uh, singing sweet songs to the lords and ladies of Byzantium and and it just totally came back to me again with what what I just heard there your in your piece oh that's that's uh, kind of you I think that uh uh, it's the, the um, uh, let's see, the infinite love of spirit is beyond death and has never been born. It's uncreated and cannot be harmed or taken away from us. Our core, our soul, is a shining diamond in our hearts, radiant and true, good and beautiful, not a fantasy, not an illusion but a contactable, knowable, beyond concepts, cause for celebration. And every good thing on earth reflects its truth. Um, some words on the soul. All right. Well, and you give me a good opportunity to, to, to go somewhere else because there's not much else you can say about that, I don't think. But in the words you just used, I heard words like good and true and beautiful. And these are... Platonic words uh, that that go together actually, and and um, that you you talked about uh, um, Michelangelo 
and, we, and maybe we'll talk about him a little bit more, but he was sort of this, in your own words, I think you, you called, you've called him an, a Neoplatonist. Or right. I think that the, uh, um, the philosophy of uh, Plotinus, who was a, a real intense mystic, after Plato, mm-hmm. sort of resurrected the idealist nature of uh, Plato's reality. That he felt that uh, the real reality was a realm of uh, ideal archetypes. Mm-hmm. That the um, the physical world was a kind of crude reflection of. And so the idealist philosophy has always. Uh, gone toward that, toward saying that there is this higher archetypal dimension, that a more spiritual dimension that uh, is in relationship with the physical uh, reality. It also posits a completely transcendental reality as well that's beyond all form. Mm. But in between the physical and this transcendental is this sort of uh, intermediate zone of the visionary and uh, so uh, that's where we, uh, our imagination, uh, can come into relationship with God. Mm. In fact, Ibn Arabi, the great Sufi mystic, refers to uh, our imagination as our angel because mm. it it's what uh, allows us to make contact with God. Right. Yeah, the divine imagination. That's what Blake called it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a lot of different names for this visionary realm, but I particularly love that one. Uh, good old Blake. Right. All right. Well, the, the uh, well, let's talk about him then too. We might as let, let's talk about the painting. Uh, let's talk about your work painting because we've talked about Michelangelo and what a forward-thinking uh, sort of guy he was, and, and, and I mean he came up in sort of the cr- pretty pretty stiff Christian background too, and and for him to have that sort of don't Openness, don't need yeah. the middleman attitude. Right. Yeah, his was uh, uh, there was an influx of Neoplatonic uh, philosophers at the time that Michelangelo was uh, a boy. And so he absorbed that hmm. kind of teaching and uh, this kind of idealist um, uh, relationship that the physical uh, world has with a higher world. So uh, all of his paintings and sculptures and everything reflects it. And uh, so he's one of the painters uh, or, and, or artists that are represented in my painting called Painting which has a peanut gallery filled with uh, folks like William Blake and Michelangelo, uh, Frida Kahlo's up there, and Van Gogh, and Hieronymus Bosch, and right. uh, a few others. Jean Deville. Yeah, Jean Deville, Deville, I guess, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, and uh, uh, Chilichev, I know, who is one of your favorites, right. actually, I think, right? Yes, Pavel Chilichev, yes. Right. And uh, for again, for people out there listening, get on the web and go... Uh, go to my site actually right now because I have that's the picture that I uh, that I chose to put up on the web uh, this evening actually. But anyway, uh, that's up there and you'll see what Alex is talking about. the uh, The painting is uh, a picture of a person painting, and over uh, his or her shoulder, I'm guessing that's you. Um, or who's who's painting there? Yeah. Um, I suppose it's I kind suppose. of a, okay. a universal artist right. just trying to analyze what goes on when okay. someone is making a work of art. But anyway, with with the uh, seven uh, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, actually. Eight uh, portraits of uh, of artists that are looking over his or her shoulder, and uh, and those are artists that we're talking about right now. And it's a wonderful painting. It's beautiful. And again, this is one of these ones that stare at it for a long long enough time, and and you'll you'll go into hyperspace. So, <laughs> well, there is a uh, uh, kind of a hyperspace angel behind the artist that's yeah. trying to guide their painting hand, ah. and. Uh, it's beaming these kind of light rays into the uh, pineal gland of the artist, right. which is uh, where dimethyltryptamine, oh. that illegal uh, entheogen that the brain secretes, uh, seems to be manufactured. And uh, so it's a place for good visions. Um, and uh, then below it, there's a thanatopic phantasm that waits to bite the ass of the artist if he's delinquent in his activities. And uh, I feel it looming now. Um, and that—that uh, that is the one of the first paintings that you see when you enter into the uh, Chapel of Sacred Mirrors. Wow. Uh, the other one in the in the blue room is a painting called Prostration, where a fellow is uh, sort of bowing down before this great ball of light that's kind of sending finger-like uh, flame emanations from mm. the sphere into the back chakras of the supplicant. And uh, there is a skitter-scatter of uh, astral creepy crawlers that uh, relate to the person's uh, kind of vices and things uh, that seem to be hovering in their shadow, I guess. And... Uh, a bunch of helper beings are helping to channel the energy of light into this uh, person who's a pilgrim who's prostrating themselves. But uh, uh, the other uh, painting that's in that room is uh, two paintings by Allison, uh, Chaos with Order Letters and Order with Chaos Letters. So, um, and the figure, uh, significantly enough, is bowing down before these Above the painting, it says, Surrender to Love. The entire uh, uh, Chapel of Sacred Mirrors is really in honor of the love um, that Allison and I shared and just in, came out into works of art. And uh, so it's a trying to point back to that to a place that honors love. Astonishing. Wow. You know, I was going to... Uh, Actually, for a little while up on my set, I had uh, I had Theolog up, and I uh, I switched it today and I put up painting. Uh, but Theolog is one that's interesting too, uh, because we keep talking about this word entheogen, yeah. and the and the theo keeps uh, sneaking into the conversation. And right. Theolog is is God's got the right? place surrounded. He does. He's all over tonight. So, or she? I don't know. Yeah, that's so, right. It. Uh, but theologue, it, it, a conversation with God, or something like that. Yeah. And maybe you could describe that painting a little bit, and then uh, because again, that's another one that I think really strikes. Well, it's probably the, my most popular painting. It is of a person that is uh, meditating, kind of in a lotus posture, facing the viewer. They're central on a five by fifteen foot canvas, and oh my gosh. so. Um, 
emanating from the kind of third eye brain region of this uh, translucent. Again, the, again, the, again, the pineal gland in, the, in this thing is relevant again. Mm-hmm. And from that uh, space is the uh, that's the kind of vanishing point of a very um, complex perspective grid that uh, is at like a one point perspective uh, that or a two point that comes directly into the uh, sort of consciousness uh, zone inside of the brain of the meditator and it's they're sort of like sending out these beams of uh, or rays of a grid of light that point to the way that our mind creates the reality that we're surrounded by and so this perspective grid also becomes a cone of perception that is this projecting um, uh, enveloped kind of uh, grid that uh, the mind is and uh, it's got a long subtitle theologue the union of human and divine consciousness weaving the fabric of space and time in which the self and its surroundings are embedded mm-hmm. so it's about that well it was this one actually was inspired by an LSD experience and uh, where I was sitting and wearing a mindfold and and saw this uh, electric perspective grid and felt it was you know really the scaffolding on which we place space mm-hmm. you know we, we create compelling illusions of space in our dreams you know, as we're walking down the street or walking through a house in our dreams mm-hmm. so there is this space making faculty in our minds and uh, mm-hmm. so I was just I, I felt like I got a glimpse of it and this is this painting says about um, about that yeah you know it's a I have some friends and this may sound like a, like a I'm off on a tangent, but uh, I have friends that are Lakota Indians, uh, American Indian in uh, Colorado. And I was taught a long time ago that uh, there's a a particular prayer uh, that I've actually found now to be present in many different cultures, but I first learned it through the Lakota. And it has to do with what they call the Six Directions. And uh, basically, bef- before you, behind you, to your left, to your right, above you, and below you. And then, if you draw, you know, three axes, you know, you basically have a, a six-pointed star that's that has the center with three pieces moving through it, right? Right. And yeah. so that's the same representation, that, or at least what it reminds me of, because what they what they t- teach or what they taught me was that this that this three-dimensional space that, that you're describing is what emanates from the center point, but you are the center, and you it, it comes from you, and at the same time you live in it, or whatever. Right, exactly. You're surrounded by it, yet you're projecting it. Right. You know? And uh, so they say that God is a circle whose circumference mm-hmm. is boundless and whose center is everywhere. Mm-hmm. So... That's another way of thinking of that. Right. 
Well, that's a that's a, again another astonishing painting. Uh, that's just a mind bender. Uh, again, people get on the web, and if you're not getting on now, uh, make sure you get on uh, tomorrow and check out Alex's stuff. If you haven't, most of you people probably have. But uh, anyway. All right, well, look, uh, I need to do a quick break here uh, for the top of the hour that I missed by six minutes because I can't pay attention to the clock when I'm on the air with you. So, uh, This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. All right, that's enough. Uh, Alex, let me, let me play another song, and then uh, we can chat off the air, and, and uh, uh, we can decide if you want to stick around for a little while longer or not uh, if... If not, uh, I think I'd, I'll be needing to go to bed soon. Well, good. I think then, then let's uh, let's 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 take care of things now. I think we've we've covered things pretty well. Let's if 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 you want, take a few minutes and maybe we can just chat about uh, where things are going. We can tell people again about the sacred mirrors, uh, the chapel of sacred mirrors, and. Uh, uh, how they can uh, see that. Of course, the web is probably the best way to, to at least get the information about that. Right. Yeah. Well, the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors is at uh, 540 West 27th Street on the fourth floor. Uh, it's between 10th and 11th Avenues in uh, New York City. So if you journey out to New York City, please come and visit us at regular gallery hours from Tuesday through Saturday from 10, uh, actually 11 to 6. And... Uh, um, I give tours every month, and um, let's see, we have our full moon prayer gatherings and do other kinds of events that bring together creativity and spirituality, and uh, so we encourage anyone who's interested to visit us on the web at COSM, Chapel of Sacred Mirrors, COSM.org, where a publicly supported charity and uh, we've tried to create a space where not like a normal gallery where uh, art is a commodity but uh, rather a place where art can be a portal to mystic reality and uh, so in order to do that various people who felt a connection to the work have um, donated and uh, we encourage anyone who feels a strong connection to help us out and uh, one can do that online as well but please whatever you do come and visit uh, the sacred mirrors when you're in new york all right great and uh and yeah the website's great too uh, uh go look at the imagery there and it's a labyrinth once you get in there and start moving around just like the the whole web is becoming this amazing genie like uh prosthesis that we all have uh, at our fingertips so all right uh alex uh, any any last words of wisdom for uh for us before you go what do you think of uh, we've got all kinds of situations going on the world is getting uh crazier as we speak uh, i was uh, going to do a whole New Orleans thing uh, at some time during my show. I'll probably end up doing that after you and I get off the air. But gosh, so much going on, and uh, at the same time, beauty like crazy in the middle of all this, uh, all the nastiness. Yes. Well, stay stay rooted to the highest and deepest reality that you can. At the same time, that you're paying attention to the suffering that is going on every day 
and uh, be vulnerable to the suffering, but try to bring the um, richness of compassion um, to your daily actions and uh, don't lose hope. See it, as you were saying, Mike, as part of the alchemical process of history that um, we are going through. And uh, stay rooted to the good stuff and keep radiating it because you can make a difference in people's lives. And the way that you hold your reality is uh, determines how powerfully you can live your life. Wow. Well said. Love to you, Mike. Well said. All right, Alex, do me a favor. Just, uh, do me a favor. Just hold on for a moment, okay? All right, thanks again. Uh, my guest has been Alex Gray. And uh, you can find out more about Alex at www.alexgray.com. Uh, this program will be archived on the web uh, within a day or two here. And uh, you can share it with your friends. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation that we've had together. And I thank Alex with my heart and uh, my best to his family. And uh, to all of those in his ever-growing circle. So uh, let's take a minute here and get things uh, back underway. And I'll be back in just a few minutes. Uh, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. We'll maybe open the phones. I'm not sure, but we'll talk about some stuff in just a few minutes. I'll play a couple songs, and I'll be back in just a few. This is Mike, Radio Orbit, KOPN, Columbia.
This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. All right, one more time. A big thanks to Alex Gray and to Allison Gray for setting up the whole thing and for being as big a part of the whole the whole adventure as uh, as she is. I'm actually going to read one more thing that Alex wrote uh, that I pulled out earlier. So I'm going to read this now and then we'll sort of wrap this part of the show up because it's going to change sort of dramatically in a few minutes. So, All right. This is called Bless Your Eyes. Your eyes are blessed openings taking in what light ever brings. Treat eyes kindly. Feed them well. They excitedly glisten and lovingly swell. Show them the worst all over again. They shrink into hollows of mortal skin. Bathe your eyes in images divine. All heaven unfolds and opposites combine. Your eyes become temple domes for the Pleiades. Crystalline mandalas inhabited by deities. Blessing every moment you see as glimpses of eternity. Let's bless your eyes. Written by Alex Gray. All right, Alex, here's to you. Thanks, man. All right, so uh, this is Mike, and this is Radio Orbit. And uh, change gears here. The last week has been outrageous uh, for the country. And there's obviously a real serious situation going on, not only in New Orleans, but all along the uh, the Gulf Coast. Uh, the news uh, spends... Uh, uh, most of its time on the New Orleans area, uh, although I haven't been watching the TV too much, so I shouldn't speak too much for what they're doing on the news. But uh, uh, it seems to me, from what I'm reading, that New Orleans is the primary uh, topic, and no doubt there's a serious issue there. Uh, but there are real serious issues all along that whole coast. And the uh, the sort of debate of the day seems to be, you know, who's to blame, as always. And by the way, if anybody wants to talk, uh, give me a call. The number is 573, if you want to get on the air, it's uh, 573-443-8255. That's 573-443-8255 if you've got a question or you want to talk or whatever. And the number in the studio is 573-874-5676 if I'm on a break and you want to ask me something. All right? Anyway, so, so yeah, the, the, the whole deal is about the blame right now and whether it's the governor of Louisiana's fault. No one said anything about the governor of uh, Mississippi. You know, and his place is just as destroyed as Louisiana. But anyway, uh, there's a big, it's a political thing. That's why you haven't heard about it, quite frankly. Uh, that's why you're hearing about the mayor of New Orleans and the governor and all that stuff versus, you know, the big uh, cage match between uh, President Bush and the Louisiana politicos. Who's to blame? Well, it doesn't matter who's to blame. The bottom line is that nobody was prepared for it. And first of all, the arrogant idea that you can be prepared for something like that in an area 
like New Orleans and the Gulf seaboard there that is so, so uh, vulnerable to high water. I mean, it's below sea level. So to think that, again, it's this arrogance, you know, it's totally arrogant to think, ah, we we can build a levee and we can build it bigger and stronger and the waves will never break it, you know, because we're smart and we're human beings and we're smarter than nature and we can dominate and all this stuff. But it always ends up, you know, flying in their face. And we always pay for it with thousands of lives. In this case, uh, it happens to be uh, because of this hurricane. But we have literally a, you know, devastated situation down there. And uh, lots and lots of people gone, lots of loss of life. We talked about this last week a little bit. It was just sort of unfolding last Monday when we were on the air. And there was no, uh, had no idea how serious it was at the time it was just sort of uh, the story was just sort of coming together and you know the pieces didn't really fall together for a couple of days and it just sort of got uh, snowballed more and more and we still haven't seen the worst of it I'm sure you can be you can be sure of that um, but anyway the bottom line is that nobody was ready for it and it wasn't anybody's fault uh, unless the storm was uh, manufactured and manipulated and directed by somebody. And I, I, I keep that as an open possibility. And I've been talking to Scott Stevens, actually, about that. But anyway, uh, let's take a couple phone calls here and see what's on everybody else's mind. Hi, this is Mike on Radio Orbit. Hey, Mike. Mark, hi. I'm, how are you? Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing fine. It's good to hear you and good to have the opportunity to call in. I guess uh, I think there's something really interesting in terms of the whole issue of being prepared, and I agree with you 100% that it's hubris to think that uh, we can exceed nature and somehow build in crazy places and things like that. And I think that we've really uh, shown a great deal of hubris in the way humanity has dealt with our technology and its impact on the environment and the earth. On the other hand, uh, it's a really interesting article up on the Truth Out website by Marjorie Cohen, to Americas. Have you seen that one? No, it's at truthout.org, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, it it points out that when Hurricane Ivan hit mm-hmm. Cuba last year, mm-hmm. it was a hurricane of magnitude six, which yeah, it was off gra- the scale. Yeah. yeah, even greater than uh, the uh, hurricane we've just had here, Katrina, and it hit Cuba with no more lead time in terms of advance warning. And we had here, and the Cubans somehow, despite the fact they've been under the U.S. economic embargo for 35 years mm-hmm. and uh, have had their energy source cut off 15 years ago when the Soviet Union fell, somehow they managed to evacuate hundreds of thousands of people. Right. And even though they lost 20,000 dwellings, dwellings of you know more than 20,000 people, probably dwellings of 100,000 people right, were destroyed. Right, right, right. There was not one single life lost. Amazing. It's because the communities gathered together and took care of each other. Right. right and right. here we had a laissez-faire evacuation. We had an evacuation where the people who had money and had cars took off in their cars and went. And the people who didn't have money and didn't have cars 
were left behind, and the government wasn't looking out for them, the neighbors weren't looking out for them, they were stuck. And it is so reflective of our values in a society that is so classist and so racist and so so focused on uh, me, me, me. And, you know, the people who had it took off with it, and the people who didn't have it were stuck there in a hellhole. And (laughs) I don't know what else to say except... You know, there's so much that this speaks volumes about, uh, if not our entire set of cultural values, and certainly not values that everybody, you, me, and all people listening right now embrace, but enough of our society embraces mm-hmm. values like this, that we have a government that just blew this off. And George Bush went mm-hmm. off to play golf and went off to do some fundraising and uh, didn't even curtail his vacation for three days. And... Uh, you know. Right. Did you see the uh, uh, and uh, and I, I want to make a couple comments to stay on the line here, sure. if you don't mind. Uh, uh, the uh, the levy shoots and all that stuff were just PR stunts. Did you see that whole deal? I, I saw that. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing that they're doing photo op stuff and then tearing things down. It's yeah. Just, they came in like they were going to distribute a bunch of food and they right. stayed there as long as the TV cameras were there right, and, and tore it down and took it down. So you know, we we have a great well, deal of. Uh, Cynicism and manipulation of public attitudes and, right, no question. and ideas. But the bottom line is that we can see in other societies and other cultures that people have the ability to create societies that are caring and sharing societies. I'm not putting Cuba up as perfect. There's certainly things that could be improved in their culture and their society. But the you know gulf, the gap between where we're at a society that is so skewed in terms of rich versus poor, powerful versus disempowered, mm. and what they've got there in a society I acknowledge is far from perfect, but at least everybody has health care, everybody has housing, everybody has food. They don't have as much food as they might like, but nobody starves there, and nobody's homeless there, and you know, you've got to look to you know, seeing how a country that has so much less per capita than we do, in part because of a history of exploitation and colonialism, uh, has somehow managed to create a very literate, very cultured, and very mutually uh, supportive society in which everyone's needs are taken care of. And they not only evacuated the people, they evacuated their important possessions. They evacuated their pets. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we got another pet catastrophe down yeah, there. Yeah, I mean. Well, you know, I, I, I agree with you uh, to a certain extent, but I also think that it's it's something that that wasn't that long ago. Something that was present in this country, you know, uh, not it wasn't that long ago before we had uh, a society here that 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 wasn't dominated by uh, a repressive government and that was very self-sufficient. I mean, your great-great-great-grandfather and mine would have thought it was silly uh, to go into the winter without four months of food. Uh, y- you know what I'm saying? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and this sort of thing. But we've gotten, I think, you know, the... The headline, uh, you know, if I were going to give it in the headline, I'd just say, well, we just got fat and lazy. And, you know, and it's sort of... Well, there's that, but I think that what bothers me more is the fact that there is this notion that I look out for myself, you look out for you. 
And, you know, mm. my, my way of thinking is we've got to recognize we're all in this together. Right. And no, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I think that we have to do it through community, and I think that's part of, I mean, it's interesting that you and I are talking. Mark does a, a program uh, on KOPN here as well. His show is called Evening Edition, and it's on uh, Tuesday evenings at 6 o'clock, and, and Mark, Mark's show is well worth listening to if you haven't heard it, uh, but uh, he talks about lots of relevant issues every week, but... Um, I, th- I think if I were going to make a point about preparedness and all this stuff, uh, is that, first of all, don't count on the officials or the authorities to do anything but screw the thing up. And so that means figure out ways within your own community, in your own neighborhoods or whatever, and it, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to, to try to uh, mitigate as best you could in, in, in the event of something really strange happening. And I think that you're right. Uh, I think that you have to... Uh, and and what, what does that require, Mark? It requires the the breakdown of these boundaries, you know, yeah, where people right. begin f- to, to talk again and become friends again and become real neighbors, not just somebody that they wave to when they're mowing the lawn. You know? I'm, I'm with you 100% on that notion that we need to decentralize and create a sense of community. There's the other end of it, though. If you look at the two sort of catastrophic aspects of this beyond the government's ineptitude in handling it once, once it happened, it's the fact that the uh, Bayou Wetlands, the oh, uh, the area that built up over the course of uh, millennia, has been deteriorating because of what we've done to try to make Mississippi River a uh, navigable channel. Mm-hmm. So we've channelized it, and we've uh, basically kept it from adding silt mm-hmm. through flooding mm-hmm. to offset the fact that there is a process of uh, of settling, yeah, right, and right. because of that, everything's been losing ground and sinking, and yeah. we've been losing acres and acres and acres and square miles of these wetlands, which used to create a buffer between New Orleans and the actual Gulf. That's one thing that you know community response can't deal with. That yeah. has to be our societal recognition that there is a you know, need to deal with nature in a way that, you know, respects natural balances. The bigger one, though, the Gulf waters are hotter because of global warming, which is creating mm. more intense storms. Mm. And again, communities can take a stab at that. There are cities all around the country that have been uh, making commitments to become Kyoto compliant, even though our government has chosen not to. Mm. But, you know, a neighborhood, well. while it can make changes in its energy use pattern, we really need a national energy policy and yeah. not one that's just a bunch of handouts to the uh, big oil and coal companies and mm-hmm. the nuclear industry. We need to be committed to energy efficiency and renewables and to reducing our level of carbon output. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, look, I, I'm with you. I know there are a lot of issues. I mean, and, and down there, there are so many problems that, are, that, that, are, that we haven't even realized oh, yet, yeah. that, that, that are coming that we haven't even seen yet, but they're right over the event horizon, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Look, you know, you and me are basically on the same page. The only place we differ is that I have basically become uh, completely and fully uh, disinvested with uh, with with the government and politics. I've 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 I just basically decided that it has to be done from the ground up, literally, and and without their. I, I see them as, as done. I just see it as over. And I'm hoping that maybe one of the good things that comes from from 
from this situation down there is people recognize that that the government's number one interest is nothing but to maintain their power, and it doesn't matter whether it's Democrats or Republicans, and 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 they and they and they are not doing any individual any good whatsoever, and and that's just my you know that's just my personal take on it. So I'm just I, I respect your right to feel that way, Mike. But I think there are a tremendous number of things the government does that are actually good for the environment, good for people. Uh, you know, I think about workplace safety standards. I think right. about minimum wage laws, I think about, uh, you know, overtime laws, and I think about environmental protection laws. Yeah. You know, you go no, down I, the I, list. I agree. I just think we're beyond that stuff. I, well, think, I think that business as usual is about to be over, and so I think that those things are going to become obsolete, and they're not even going to be something that is on the menu anymore, and that you, things... You could be right. You so. could be right, but, you know, I remember 30... Five years ago, <laughs> a few years older than you, yeah. for 35 years ago, about 1970-71, it looked to me in my yeah. uh, apocalyptic revolutionary uh, phase that I was going through, like the whole thing was crumbling. And it turned out to have a lot more institutional resilience than I ever anticipated. Yes, and, you know, here it is 2005, and not only hasn't the revolution come, but if there was a revolution, now it would probably be a bunch of really crazy reactionaries coming to power and mm. worse than the people we've got in there right now who are a bunch of proto-fascists themselves. So, uh, well, then, uh, well, well, if that's if, if that's what we got coming, then then uh, then, then it doesn't look good. You know, well, I guess what I'm saying <laughs> is I think we've got to create this new culture. We've got to build it organically like you're talking about. But we can't abandon in that process government and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sure, our government's involved in, you know, Greasing the skids for big business and huge corporations. Sure, our government's involved in making imperialist wars around the world. Sure, our government's involved in raping the earth and not being respectful. But it's the only institution we've got that there is public input in. You and I can't, in a meaningful way, input General Motors, General Electric, Microsoft, or IBM, or any of these massive corporations. But through a process of lobbying and elections and changing public opinion attitudes, which causes some responsiveness from our elected officials, right. we can demand some accountability. And it ain't easy, and we lose right. more than we win. But we've got to keep fighting those fights, in my opinion. But I respect people coming to different conclusions. And, you know, we, we've all got to do what we feel comfortable with and what we can do to make change. Yep, no doubt. And I appreciate the opportunity to be on the air with you, Yeah, good good talking with you as always, Mark. Take care, and everybody. I'll I'll listen to hear some other folks call in and uh, see if some interesting dialogue gets going here beyond us. So, thanks thanks a lot. Take care, Mark. Bye bye. Bye. All right, Mark Heim uh, does a show evening edition on Tuesday nights from 6 p.m. until 7 o'clock, and uh, always has interesting guests and relevant subjects and. uh, worth listening to this program, okay? All right, uh, let's see. What did I want to talk about here? So the hurricane, yeah. I mean, Mark brings up a lot of relevant topics, uh, and I and I agree uh, with the with the gravity of the situation uh, and and the and the myriad problems that are going to result from this. And economic being another one that we should probably talk about a little bit, but. Uh, uh, because that's uh, that has yet to, that's one of the ripples that has yet to be fully felt, I think. And the gasoline, petroleum, uh, what's really going on with production? What's really going on with with the refining? Uh, what uh, uh, obviously petroleum issues are the primary one because that's that's the crack. That's uh, that's the heroin that 
that we are particularly addicted to, and we don't have much of it, uh, at least not that's quickly available um, of our own. Even the even the, strato- uh, the strategic reserves. Uh, that was primarily a PR move because that stuff still has to be refined. Refining is one of the biggest problems that we have because the refineries are the ones are the things that are really damaged and destroyed down there, along with a bunch of platforms. But there are a whole lot of oil platforms. I'm not sure that's the biggest thing. There was an issue that there were 58, I think. It was the final number, 58 uh, oil rigs uh, that were out there in the Gulf that were either destroyed or damaged considerably. But uh, you have to realize how many oil rigs are out there. There are literally thousands of them. Uh, I think there are 800, actually, uh, oil-producing rigs right now that are out there uh, that are actually manned and then there are some another four or five hundred or something that are that are unmanned so uh, there's a whole lot of oil production going on out there a couple of big platforms did get damaged no question about it and 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 with with the the petroleum supplies globally being as tight as they are uh, i think it will have an impact no question Uh, but uh, but the refineries, I think, are the greater problem. Uh, not to mention, Mark Mark mentioned uh, the river, you know, uh, the Mississippi River, and the intervention that men have uh, undertaken to make that river, river navigable and to keep, <coughs> pardon me, and to uh, keep it open for shipping. Well, it ain't navigable now. And there's barges sunk in it. I mean, there's all the trees tossed in it. I mean, the the, the Mississippi River right now is not a navigable river uh, at the mouth there, where it's required, where nearly 50% of everything that is shipped in this country passes at some point or another, requires access to either New Orleans or the Mississippi River. So... Uh, this is no small thing, and uh, we'll have to see how it pans out. But, you know, depending on where you look, you find, as always, the, 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 the gamut of uh, opinions. But certainly there are reasonably intelligent people that are talking about, uh, you know, cascading ripple effects that are devastating uh, to the economy. And uh, some even go as far as to say that, uh, you know, if oil gets cut off and uh, Atlanta, for example, runs out of gas and doesn't have gas for any particular amount of time, that, uh, you know, riots will ensue and then you'll see it uh, breaking down socially, that sort of thing. Well, that's a stretch, I think, uh, at this point. Uh, But the events that happen down there certainly show how fragile it is. Certainly show how fragile the system is. Uh, because uh, in in a very short amount of time, and, and these days we have the ability to predict it. You know, like Mark said, uh, you know, what happened in Cuba with Ivan. And then, and then Ivan came here and did a bunch of damage too. But probably had more... Uh, Collateral and and uh, human losses here than in Cuba, as, as and it was a direct hit there, Category Five plus. Um, 
but the particular placement of this storm that we're talking about now, of Katrina, uh, hitting where it hit, I mean, absolutely uh, devastates not only the area and the people that live there, but uh, the the lasting effects now of the flooding and the destruction and the damage to the river and the uh, uh, further implications of everything that's still going on. Shipping. So... So there's a lot going on, and uh, we'll just have to watch it closely and uh, and just pay attention. But this is a time to pay attention and be smart, uh, because um, regardless of, of, of who you think should be responsible for disaster preparation and this sort of thing, uh, these things are upon us. And if it's not in place from the federal government, uh, yeah, okay, we need to work to get it in place and to work towards smarter uh, policies with regard to this. But it's an epistemological thing. We just have to change the way we think, uh, you know, about the way we, we just have to change the way we do business in general. And that's sort of my argument. And the way to do that is to trash every institution, every corrupt, uh, corrupted by greed and ambition, all of our institutions. Uh, I've been in too many of them uh, already. Uh, I'm not as naive as I may sound sometimes. But, uh, you know, I've been in government. I've worked for the Department of Defense overseas. I've, uh, I've worked in the medical industry. I've worked in large corporations. And uh, I've been in religious institutions. And what I've seen in government, in politics, in religion, in education, in health, uh, in science even. I see uh, corruption by greed and ambition. And male dominance hierarchies, alpha male situations that are no different than the arboreal rainforest than we came out of. And that's what I think needs to change. And Mother, may, Mother Earth may, may, may force it upon us. You know, the deeper the sleep, the harder you've got to shake the guy to wake him up. And that's another analogy about what's going on right now. We just got shaken up pretty good. We'll see if people wake up from it or not. Uh, but uh, my heart goes out to everybody who's still there, everybody who's been there, anybody who has friends there, anybody who... Uh, who is connected to this and it's so many people that that are that are not separated by very many individuals between them and somebody in New Orleans or somebody in uh, 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 you know Gulfport Mississippi or anywhere around there and I hope uh, that things are getting better and I hope that uh, that there's no more of it. But if there is, for the time being, a lesson learned is that uh, it would be very wise to prepare for yourself and to uh, create common cause and to uh, align yourselves with like-minded individuals uh, that might assist one another in the event that something uh, 
like that does happen. Because in many cases, and I'm not picking on anybody here, it takes a long time, there are logistics involved that are outrageous as well, you know. I mean, how quick could somebody have really been there? I mean, even if it was, you know, whatever, a real short period of time, a day or something like that, where they were able to, you know, during that storm, I mean, you know, 130 mile an hour winds or whatever sustained for 12 hours, well, nobody can go in then, you know, and directly afterwards or whatever. You've got certainly some period of time when you are not going to have any help, and you can guarantee yourself that. The only question is how much time uh, before you have help. So uh, I always think that it's it's wise to do your best to prepare uh, for being on your own, uh, try to be aware of your situation, where you live, uh, you know, what the potential for any particular kind of disaster might be in your area. Try to be smart about uh, what might happen in your area. Uh, you know, you can never really predict everything, but you can at least, you know, if, if an asteroid slams into your roof, well, you know, not much you can do about that, but, you know, if you live in a floodplain, well, at least recognize it. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you live somewhere where there's tornadoes, like here, recognize that. And recognize that, you know, if uh, a twister comes rumbling down your lane, uh, you better be ready to take care of yourself for at least a little while. And your neighbors. And, you know, it helps to have friends. And it helps to be around people who you are comfortable with and who you know and who you trust. And that's what neighbors are about. That's the real word. You know, it's not just somebody that, uh, that, that just lives next door to you and you try to avoid... Uh, you know, and you get in your car um, after they get in their car and drive away or something. You know, I don't know. It just seems like uh, neighbors uh, should be friends. Uh, and it's certainly helpful to have friends in times of crisis. No man is an island, you know. So anyway... Uh, lots to be learned, and I'm sure lots still to come out of this whole thing. It is, I think, going to open some eyes, and I like to think that there will be uh, good that comes out of uh, all the uh, all the suffering that's going on down there right now. Uh, but I hope uh, I hope some good comes from it, and if nothing else, we can learn uh, from it. And. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't come to a town near you. Pray for those who it does go to. All right, so anyway, tonight I had a wonderful uh, conversation with uh, Alex Gray, amazing artist and uh, a great writer, a sculptor, and a visionary guy in general. And next week, who are we going to talk to here? Let's see. I think I'm going to do that interview with Ralph Abraham. I think I mentioned that before. I think I'll do this show with Ralph Abraham. Uh, I got to get that that interview edited, uh, but I'll do that, and then we'll probably have Vincent Bridges the week after that. Uh, Jeremy Narby coming up on the 26th. Lucy Pringle maybe in between talking about crop formations. Uh, some amazing things again this year on the countryside in England. And uh, the stories Lucy will tell us and the pictures she will show us will be 
uh, amazing, I'm sure. And we'll talk to Lucy in a couple weeks. I mentioned uh, that Jay Widener is going to be on the show again, and we talked about the cyclic cross at Undai, France, and his book uh, that he wrote, along with Vincent Bridges, who will be on the show in the next couple of weeks. And I got an email, I think I mentioned, let me finish my thought here with Jay, actually, but uh, uh, Jay's going to be on the show again soon, and we're going to be talking not about the cross at Undai, but the, um, uh, the art of alchemy, the science of alchemy. Uh, and uh, Jay's an expert on it, and I'm very interested in, in it myself. So that'll be a fun conversation. That's coming up in just a few weeks. We haven't really scheduled it. But, uh, but Vince Bridges, Vincent Bridges, who, uh, who is Jay's partner uh, on the Monuments End of Time project, uh, sent me an email this morning. He's been out of the country, uh, but he's back now. And I asked him, uh, you know, uh, I sent him an email a couple of days ago. said, if you're back, let me know, and then we'll get this thing scheduled. And he sent me a note back, and he said, yes, I'm back. And I have some very interesting things to talk about to you and your listeners. And he didn't allude to anything else other than that, but he said he was really excited. So uh, so that's coming up. And uh, Michael Heisen, sometime in the future, but not with Paradise. Paradise is going to come up in a couple weeks, and we're going to talk about water birth and uh, intelligence and children and learning. John Lash. I don't know if we'll do that before the conference coming up in October, the Bioneers Conference. But all this stuff is coming up, and uh, uh, I look forward to uh, spending more Monday nights with you. And I'm trying to work on the website. I've got a lot of things that I'm uh, that I'm working on, but they're just sort of not to fruition yet. But uh, it takes takes these things a while to, to to get going, especially when I can't devote as much time to it as I'd like. But uh, but just keep listening, please, and uh, spread the word if you like the show. Uh, the website is www.radioorbit.com. R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T dot com and uh, my email, ad- uh, email address is orbitradio O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O at AOL dot com orbitradio at AOL dot com I'd be interested in anything you guys have to say about the show alright it's uh, just about five minutes till two we've got the boogeyman coming up in just a few minutes uh, let's see, what should we do here? Let's put on a little piece of music to finish things up. I'm trying to think if I have anything else to talk about. We didn't do space weather tonight, and I apologize for that. Uh, let me take a quick look, actually. i got a minute here. Let's see if there's anything in particular going on. Kent's been doing quite an investigation on the hurricane, and uh, Scott Stevens has some words to say about that. Of course, his line is uh, uh, is an interesting one. And he's been on a lot of big programs lately. Art Bell and uh, 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 Whitley Strieber's Dreamland. Uh, Scott Stevens has been on all the big shows over the last couple of weeks talking about weather manipulation and modification and this storm. Uh, and he's no uh, uh, amateur. You know, he's a uh, university-trained meteorologist. He's the uh, the weather anchor for the NBC affiliate in Pocatello, Idaho. He does all this stuff uh, transparently, in the clear, in the open, with the okay from his uh, NBC affiliate. And he's a very serious guy. So anyway, lots going on there. Uh, The sun acting up a little bit, but nothing outrageous that we can't can't talk about next week. nothing, Nothing that can't wait. All right, so anyway, thanks again for listening to the show. I uh, hope you enjoyed the 
conversation with Alex Gray. Check him out at alexgray.com. His wife at alisongray.com, A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-G-R-E-Y.com. And I think Zena is at Z-E-N-A-G-R-E-Y.com, their daughter, wonderful young actor. Uh, so, all right, back next week. Enjoy yourselves. This is Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia.